0: Episode 7 of ICO 41 Weekly In-Depth Analysis of Initial Coin Offerings where we have the pleasure of two guests today from a company named Simply Vital Health. We have with us today CEO Catherine Kuzmeskis and CTO Lucas Hendren. Welcome to the both of you and thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Yeah, thanks. Sure. You know, I want to start out with a little bit of background. Uh, From what I could find, Simply Vital Health is one of the few companies that actually has a working blockchain application (laughs) to serve the healthcare industry. Uh, as far as I know, it's called Connecting Care, and I'll have a few questions about that. But as far as I understand, Simply Vital Health is also at work at something much larger, and uh, that's called Health Nexus. And that's also what I have a few questions about. Uh, so if it's okay, I'd like to start with you, Kat. Sure, absolutely. If I could get a little bit of background Sort of, if there was one, maybe an aha moment, or maybe a series of Mm -hmm. events that uh, led you to the insight that uh, some of the challenges that you were facing in your industry might be solved using blockchain technology.
1: Absolutely. So it was, gosh, December 2016 when I left my full-time job. I was working and was a project manager at the Center for Musculoskeletal Care at Yale New Haven, and at its most basic core, I needed our platform connecting care and I couldn't find it. And uh, really what that focuses is on is bridging the gap between providers on the hospital and the post-acute care side uh, and leveraging blockchain technology for something so simple and so basic as an audit trail. And the reason why that's so important in healthcare is because we're shifting into what's called value-based care, where providers are reimbursed for the outcome Uh, And the improvement of their patients as opposed to just the number of procedures that they do. But what this is requiring is all of these providers, these physicians, these nurses to come together and work together from different clinical locations, unlike they have ever had to before. But the key is, is that their reimbursement relies on the fact that they can prove that they work together. Uh, there's a lot of federal initiatives that are focused on this, uh, a lot of private insurance companies that are focused on this as well. So being able to leverage technology for something as practical and realistic as an audit trail is what we focused on. And and that's exactly uh, the connecting uh, the bridge and connecting the providers from different clinical affiliations. And then, you know, that that immutable audit trail to prove that they work together is exactly what I needed. So we created it.
0: So there's this transactional nature in, in what they do. So you'll have, for instance, uh, a provider providing a service uh, for a patient and that will sort of be added to the blockchain and that will just keep going and, getting, and it's sort of in a way uh, like the transactions that pile up on Bitcoin. Is that sort of how it works? So I would say that's that's the direction that we're
1: heading. Uh, where we are is is even more practical than that, even more simple than that. And you know the fact that we've focused on something so simple is why we're one of the first revenue generating platforms in healthcare that leverages blockchain technology. So what we're doing is uh, when information, clinical information and data comes into our platform, we're hashing that information and putting that hash on the blockchain. Uh, so it's more just the hash or the receipt IDs that, that we're keeping track of right now. But eventually, uh, yes, those care plans will start to to build up over but time. That's actually enough, though, isn't it? I mean, the hash is proof. Yes. You're just looking mm-hmm. for proof, and you've
0: got that proof. And it's in, like you said, it's immutable. It goes back in time. And, and mm-hmm. so who is sort of benefiting? I mean, all the parties involved that are using Connecting Care right now, who? Uh, where do the benefits go with connecting care? Uh, to which kind of actors in this in this whole scenario?
1: Yeah, so connecting care focuses on. You're right. It's you know it's a lot of different players. Uh, it's the hospital. It's the physician. It's the nurses. Uh, it's a lot of different um, people that are are the the connecting thread between them though is that they're managing the same patients, right. shared patients. Makes sense. So it
0: follows the patient. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Well, I want to shift over to Lucas for a minute. And um, I, I'm curious, Lucas, I know you've got a, a, a pretty solid background in blockchain programming, working for some other companies, financial companies. What is it about the blockchain as a developer that uh, appeals to you? And what sort of led you in the first place toward distributed technology as opposed to the, the usual stack that we hear, you know, the, the relational database and the standard kinds of uh, programming that? That
2: seems so popular just just a couple years ago. Um Yeah. Um, so it's a good question. So I was on an R&D team on Capital One and I kind of had the ability to kind of pick and choose or not pick and choose projects. There are kind of few projects floating around um, that I was looking at. Um, one of them was a blockchain project. So before I made a decision, I decided, hey, I'm going to go actually read the white paper for Bitcoin and Ethereum and stuff. And after I read the white paper, I was really impressed by it, just from kind of a mathematics slash computer science perspective. And if I'm going to be honest, it just kind of, at the time for me, it kind of clicked that I don't see this not being a thing. <laughs> right. Like, I, I'm reading this, the math makes sense, I, it's immutable, no other database can really claim that, it's auditable, like all the stuff it's claiming to be it can do, um, at the time it was i did have difficulties finding correct use cases for it um, but it was just kind of like from a technical standpoint it was very impressive to me and i wanted to be a part of it from kind of a technical perspective because i just i couldn't see how this wasn't going to be a thing and technically i was really impressed by it um, and after that i kind of like took lead on the blockchain project world to kind of like fulfill that ambition
0: that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's funny. I've seen this with a lot of my friends, a lot of people that I work with. They just start looking at this after maybe 10, 15 years in, in, in technology, and they're just blown away by it. And I can see the level of excitement that, that is happening, and it's really fortunate that that you were exposed to it so early you know, and and just embraced it. So I think that's going to actually work out very well. I'm um, just curious from a technical standpoint. Is, is coding – have you found – that coding, you know, for the blockchain, and I know you have a lot of, in your white paper, you talk about distributed hash tables and things like that, but is the coding significantly different uh, than when you code against sort of more traditional data structures like relational databases?
2: Um, I would say it would vary. Um, I'd say for smart contracts, I would say it would vary. So we are starting with kind of our phase one is releasing kind of a smart contract system. Um, I'd say when it comes to coding outside of that i wouldn't say it's kind of like hard to describe i wouldn't say it's as different as you would think um there are differences but it's really for me it's kind of it's less blockchain specific it's more like the difference between building for a distributed system versus a centralized system
0: okay i see right so it's the distribution that makes the difference there and sort of the peer-to-peer concept
2: yeah i would say that's the bigger one up That would be the biggest part for me. Other people might vary on that because I do kind of see that being kind of personal, but I see the distributed nature of the database being the bigger, biggest difference.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great. So in terms of connecting care, uh, I know that you and Kat went down last year, I think it was down to Tennessee and you competed at that (laughs) hackathon, right? Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) I think that's pretty cool. And you guys won. So (laughs) that's pretty awesome. So, what was that like? It was a twenty four hour I mean I mean you you just must have stayed up all day and all night and just, you know, hammered on it, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty exciting. There was a I think a team of four of us and uh you know at this point Lucas and I had never met in person. And uh simply Vital Health did exist in theory at that time and you know we the the reason why I personally as the CEO wanted to to do this hackathon was to test the idea. And, uh, you know, Lucas and I had connected before, and I was looking for a blockchain developer, and I said, this is a great opportunity to see how we work together. And, uh, you know, what was really fascinating, so Lucas got to coding right away, um, but we had someone on our team from Canada and not kidding, I, I probably spent anywhere between two, three, to four hours trying to describe the United States healthcare system to him. He was like, I just don't understand why. <laughs> why you need this platform? And I was like, I know, but let me tell you. <laughs> and it got to a point, I think Lucas and I went to go grab some water and he was like, you know, I, I really need you to come back to this project. <laughs>
2: right.
1: I need you to focus on creating <laughs> our deck for tomorrow. Um, and so I thought that was a really interesting perspective. Uh, you know, now that we're a little bit further along as a company, there's global opportunity. Uh, we, we can talk about that later, but the hackathon was, right. was fascinating. And, you know, we were actually done by 2 a.m. Wow. Yeah, done and ready. So we had, a, you know, relatively a good night's rest and uh, did a great job with the presentation.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. That's probably a big part of it, too, is presentation. I mean, that's got to be true in your industry in general. I mean, you have to be able to explain to people who are just not that technical, maybe, that are more on the business side, what you're doing and what it means.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know what's interesting is uh, so far the approach that we've taken with healthcare is we don't mention we're using blockchain. And it's it's gone over really well. Uh, uh, Right now, just about two hours ago, we left a a sales meeting with a very, very large hospital system here in the northeast and blockchain didn't come up at all. And, you know, when we're that we were meeting with the CFO, the CMO uh, and a couple of VPs and to them, they just want a platform that works. When we're speaking with the IT team of a hospital or physician group, we're able to nerd out a little bit on blockchain because they've heard of it, they're really excited about it, and they understand the immutability behind blockchain and why we have that right now in our connecting care platform. And so it really just depends on the audience. But uh, as soon as that that admin team, that C-suite team does hear about blockchain, yes, then we have to say, all right, yes, we're using pretty cool technology and, and this is what it does.
0: That's actually a very insightful way of presenting because it would be i I would imagine in your industry that the early mention of blockchain technology and these with the CFO and these kinds of people would maybe not be the best <laughs> idea <laughs> because of the level of fear of new things, right? I could see that. And then on the other hand you've got this excitement that you know is brewing and simmering under the pot of those of those techno technical people who just can't wait to hear about mm-hmm. your idea about blockchain. So very interesting. I, I, I want to take it step back and ask this. When you were, you know, sort of down there a year ago, did you already have in mind? I mean, you, you, you had connecting care. The connecting mm-hmm. care was the thing you were going to present. But was it already brewing in your mind about Health Nexus? Was that already starting?
1: Yes. Yeah. And Lucas and I had early conversations about the ecosystem and um, connecting. Uh, you know, just this, this bigger, this bigger vision. And I can let Lucas explain that a little bit more.
2: Oh um, yeah. So we started talking about the initial kind of ambition of it. Um, specifically on the data sharing portion and in our actual demo, the first thing we were kind of doing was if you look at our white paper, we're talking about the key system. We were actually kind of working on that during the demo itself back in last October. And then we spent the last probably year a kind of getting our foot in the door of a few other companies Along with kind of getting the initial product out, so that we could iterate on it. But like in the meantime, we were also doing a lot of testing and research just to kind of like finalize, make sure that this is how we want to build this distributed system.
0: That's great. So so basically, you built Connecting Care with what you had in the future in mind, and what we used to say, and maybe we still say this is is you built it scalable. You began to build it so it's scalable, so it could it could be expanded into Health Nexus.
2: Um. Yeah, I would say we expanded to include Health Nexus. We do view Health Nexus more as a tool that will power connecting care. Okay. But yeah, that would be accurate.
0: Good. Okay, that's interesting. Well, listen, there is one aspect. Well, there's several, of course. But one <laughs> of the aspects that I enjoyed about your white paper was this notion of the consortium of actors, and they're going to govern. And I know it's extremely important. It's been expressed in your white paper that it's extremely important for the healthcare industry. To feel comfortable about the fact that the blockchain is a permissioned and b governed, <laughs> it's not the wild wild west. It's not Bitcoin. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's that, and so you've established that very well. And you can elaborate on that if you like, for sure. But in addition to that, I'd like to know who these who these consortium members ideally, in your mind, would be going out the gate when you release uh, Health Nexus.
2: Oh, sure. So um, kind of <laughs> sort of beginning. So the reason we believe there needs to be a kind of a governing body is, um, well, first of all, like we do need to deal with HIPAA compliance. We need some way to validate these nodes, make sure they're compliant entities for this. So we need some type of permissioning built in from the get go. Um, a, B, we want it to still be decentralized in nature. Um, we don't believe, like you said, Bit- or healthcare will specifically want kind of a wild west Bitcoin-like environment to work in. Um, see, we also want kind of a stable upgrading system. We need a system that won't have to do with hard force, but can upgrade in a reasonable amount of time. And we viewed this kind of governing body would be the best way to handle all three of these issues. The way I see it working, and this kind of goes into the initial players, is that we would A, start with getting digital health companies first, then physicians, and then hospitals. Um, Generally speaking, we we want to try to get the whole wide spectrum of consortium members there kind of represented. Um, with the end goal to be this kind of being a decentralized permissioning system. So if you see some other ones, they typically have some governing foundation that has a lot of power. Um, Our intention of is that no one, none of these individuals have a lot of power and they're all held accountable. I'm sure if you reviewed in the white paper it's actually possible to lose your seat if you get vetoed out by the other consortium members. That includes us. So our goal was that once this is kind of, once we get to about phase three or four, like once it's initially built, you have kind of this system that can upgrade itself and keep itself in check with no one central point of control. That being said, you do have some governing members, but our plan is to kind of – we want this to be kind of a large tent and to include as many players as possible.
0: That's very interesting. Let me let me ask you then. I, I think that uh, when Kat was recently down in Tennessee, she mentioned that she had – as many as, I think, 150 meetings with some healthcare people, (laughs) which is pretty incredible. How did they respond to this concept of this decentralized, collaborative environment when – and maybe I'm making a presumption here, and I don't mean to if I am, but – when the healthcare system is somewhat known for not being able to work that well together?
2: (laughs) Um, So I'm – Kat can pick up where I leave off um, on this because I do feel Kat can speak a lot better to this. Um, one thing I would say, though, is that it's kind of built to be decentralized on purpose. Um, we kind of view that having kind of a decentralized foundation will make it more robust long term. Um, so we see that as a plus. And Kat, do you want to take it from here?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those conversations with providers, administrators and and folks all across the healthcare continuum, is what validated our decision to, to create the health nexus protocol. It was very clear that they are not comfortable with the Wild West of Bitcoin, uh, and even a little bit less so, but the Wild West of traditional Ethereum. Uh, and so that was great validation for what Lucas and I have been discussing and planning and, and whiteboarding for for such a long time. Still, when we talk about the the technology or the platform, or, or when we're selling into hospitals, we won't mention blockchain technology. However, when we do get to that conversation, say with the tech team, and you know they want to check under the hood and make sure that the tech is there and that the analytics that we're talking about actually work, and and you know what we're talking about is real, we are going to have to talk about blockchain technology, and the question will come up, and and we want uh, our product and others that develop on the Health Nexus protocol. We want these applications to be safely adoptable by healthcare. And that was the resounding result of the conversations that we've had uh, over the past year or so when discussing and testing the market with blockchain technology phrasing.
0: That's great. Uh, you know, it, one, to, going back to Bitcoin for one second, one of the things that I think is just flat out brilliant is this consensus algorithm. And and, and what in a very broad sense, I'm talking about the fact that Miners are incentivized to voluntarily behave well. <laughs> and, and so I, I'm curious uh, whether in your plans or, or, or if it even can be done or to what extent or what the strategies might be, uh, whether it's possible to sort of – when you have a consortium like this, to sort of create a way to incentivize the actors to work collaboratively together for the good of the platform. Is that something you can do programmatically? And maybe this is a maybe this is a, a question for Lucas. But is there anything? You know, it, that's the one thing that I love. One of the things that I love about Bitcoin, and I wonder if it can be extended into this kind of consortium-based permission blockchain.
2: Yeah, I cannot take that one over. So there are a few things we're looking at. Um, we are kind of, and this would be in the future section. So if you see our full white paper, that's where we have our full work plan stated out. We have a future areas of research section. Um, We're looking at a few other proofs, including proof of authority, which would be a little bit less rewarding to the miners for being individual good, but would give them all the miners more trust. And we're also looking at potential reputation validation systems. But all that's really for into the future. So we are looking at it. We're not quite there yet. Uh, One thing, though, I will say on the incentivizing standpoint, uh, this is something we are planning on finalizing uh, next year or probably within next year once we kind of, once the ICO is done and we're getting ready to release the system. But There will be a time frame on which these nodes will be validated. So, like, a node will most likely not be valid forever. It will probably be valid for, like, one year or however much their current certification passes. And then they will need to go back. So if they are fraudulent in that time, along with being kicked out, we could just not... Their thing might just not be renewed. If they are good players, though, they get to be Niners on this kind of exclusive mining network. It's sort of like if you wanted to mine... On Ethereum right now, that's really difficult because there are a ton of miners there. It would be a bit more exclusive for the miners to come onto this network. So it would be worth their time. So that is one kind of thing out the door. I guess it would be maybe an efficiency bonus almost. But yeah, long term, we are looking at it. It just it's kind of like our future areas of research section.
0: That's interesting. So is there a degree of compliance in the sense that I believe you're going to create a mechanism by which the nodes are validated for compliance and I presume we're talking about HIPAA compliance and those kinds of compliances. Is there some sort of a degree or reward system that might take place or is it you either are or you aren't and it's just a a relatively sort of simple algorithm that determines that?
2: Um, Right now, it's if you you are or you aren't, we're not that far along. Uh, That's something we are kind of looking into. I mean, just kind of the future stage. Um, it's also, this goes back to the phase approach. Healthcare is not known for quickly adopting technology. So we view that the quickest way to get this out of the door and get this kind of running with people, get it kind of iterative would be to start with if they are HIPAA compliant or if they're not HIPAA compliant. We already have a company that's kind of certifying us for HIPAA compliance, So there's already entities that can provide this service for us. Oh, I see. That's where we're starting first. There's a few different workflows we're looking at, but kind of like basic idea is they would go to one of these entities, prove they're HIPAA compliant, and then they would bring that back to us. And then we would kind of do our own thing and kind of double check and add them to the system.
0: Well, that's certainly easier, I imagine, and you can bring that to market much quicker, I suppose, if you use that kind of service,
2: yeah. right? It mm-hmm. makes
0: a lot of sense. Um, I, I'm curious. We were chatting, I think, on Discord at one point, and and I think that, you know, from my background, I I remember throwing out there the the idea of, of of a node sort of running, you know, as a hosting company that would host some of the data. And I looked at your white paper, of course, and I and I looked at the sort of the the architecture that you have there, and. Uh, I, I, I can see how there might be some challenges uh, with using blockchain to store data, uh, and, I, and I can understand how your, uh, your architecture has off-chain data, but could you uh, elaborate a little bit about that in terms of um, the mechanism by which those data stores would occur sort of off-chain, but yet there'd be the sort of a gate, gateway, I believe you called it, a method of, of accessing that data?
2: Um, yeah, so um, I will explain that. Um, and then I'll say there are some future things we're looking at that I'll mention afterwards. There's been quite a bit of research done into this already because healthcare was a great use case for blockchain out the gate. Um, so we relied heavily on kind of this academic research, specifically in reference in our paper, MedRec. Uh, Basically, there's a lot of research to suggests that it will be very complicated and difficult to store any type of patient identitory ident- information on the blockchain. Um, That would be very difficult. So we're storing it off-chain. We're using this kind of like key service or gatekeeper service. The idea being you're not storing data on the blockchain. You're storing access to the data on the blockchain. So going off that, if I, for example, I will have, say, data on my private database. I will then use this kind of gatekeeper client on front of the database that will communicate with the blockchain. On the blockchain, I'll create a key that right now we have this kind of, our first usability is kind of with this key system actually, and it's gonna be on Ethereum. With this key, you can store a URL associated with it, um, some metadata for your own private commissioning. We're gonna have some specific things to store if you can buy, sell, or share it. And then with this key, you can create shorter keys and give those out. You could transfer them for money or payment if you want, buy and sell them, or if you just wanna give someone access to it, you can, and then you can also manage it. So say I create my parent key, and I need to share my data with a rehab center that I have a patient going to. I can create a parent key for that specific data, share that key with the uh, rehab center, and then I can keep track of what's going on with that key. And at any point, I can then revoke it if I need to. And then with that key, the rehab center can go to your gatekeeper client and say, hey, here's a signed message. You can then prove that's me because I signed this with my uh, key or private key. Um, you can, they could can take it back to the blockchain and see that it is you and see that you do hold the correct key. That's
0: excellent. And then so the entity that's issuing these keys could potentially derive financial benefit. They, they, they could, there could be a transaction there to provide access if the data was valuable enough. Is that also along the lines of, of sort of uh, tearing down this monopolistic data storage providers, uh, charging exorbitant amounts to access data? Is it sort of the same
2: mechanism? Yes, uh, Kat can go more into it. I'll speak a little bit in detail and kind of pass this one off to Kat. Yeah, there's a lot of potential cost savings and financial benefit for them sharing uh, just from care coordination alone. So, for example, MedRec, which I mentioned before, which we also have one of our advisors was one of the people who helped implement MedRec uh, with Beth Israel Hospital. Um, They kind of showed that I, sh- I believe they kind of showed some of the cost savings there with the cost savings kind of coming from uh, increased care coordination, so better patient care, and then um, some stuff to do with financial management. Uh, Kat, do you want to speak more to this?
1: Yeah, sure. So data sharing in general, exactly what Lucas said, it helps to streamline care coordination. And what we mean by care coordination is just providers and nurses communicating and talking to one another because they share patients. Uh, Right now, it's a very cumbersome process. Uh, Sometimes the data doesn't even get through. Uh, Everyone is working off of different electronic medical records so that uh, data usually sits in that silo and and doesn't pass beyond those silos. So there's a lot that we can talk about in terms of cost savings with data and uh, being able to leverage access to that data. But even the other side to it as well, uh, which we may have discussed in the Discord channel, and I'm always very sensitive to describe this, but this is real. Uh, you know, selling healthcare data in the United States alone is a multi-billion-dollar industry, and unfortunately, it's dominated—fortunately, unfortunately—dominated by three companies, really, just three. So there's a full monopoly on this. Uh, millions of dollars are spent by healthcare institutions uh, to purchase. De-identified data, it's a very important point that it's de-identified. But this data actually drives a lot of very important strategic decisions uh, on research. Uh, It drives very strategic decisions on drug development, uh, research and development. And so it is really, really important. But the the difficulty is that it sits with those three companies. Uh, So Pfizer alone spends anywhere between 7 to $10 million a year purchasing de-identified data to, to run analyses and pull conclusions from it. So if we're able to use this key pair system, which is our first utility, to be able to bring that down to, say, the physician level, the hospital level, the patient level, where we can share access to that data, we're able to literally just distribute that opportunity to others. And it, it is a sensitive topic. Um, we don't like to, to use the word selling healthcare data, but when we do have that sensitive conversation... There is a strong interest around it. Uh, we've been approached by patients that want to share and then therefore benefit from sharing their healthcare data. Uh, we've been approached by medical device companies and we've been approached by some of the top tier in- uh, research in- institutions in the Northeast. So there's a clear need in wanting to be able to benefit from from sharing the data. So yes, not only does opening this data benefit uh, around financial risk management in healthcare, but it also helps to essentially uh, you know distribute the ability to to benefit from sharing data
0: it, it is a fascinating subject I know it's sensitive but it's something to talk about because it really is remarkable I, there have been Supreme or California Supreme Court cases in any case uh, brought by in some cases patients who mm-hmm. felt that they could poten- potentially have a stake in some of the uh, financial benefits that have come from their Tissue and data mm-hmm. and and information and so this is a, actually very interesting. In your white paper, there was mentioned, I believe, uh, this concept of you know with the with the with the value-based system and the ability for uh, providers to be to be rewarded for savings all the way down. I think you actually used the term from from surgeon to patient. Mm-hmm. Does that also mean that with this system, it could be possible that if they all work together as a team, the doctors, the patients, everybody, the providers, that everybody gets rewarded, even the patient?
1: Oh, man. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, th- like, if people listen to this podcast, maybe they can skip forward to this piece. <laughs> this is huge. <laughs> So, yes, this is real. This is federally allowed. This is this is legally allowed in the United States. It's absolutely amazing. It's it's called gain sharing. It is not profit sharing. There's a very clear, distinct difference. I think I even have hopefully I've resourced or sourced it in our white paper. Um, but Medicare, which is the the federal health insurance, has a program called Bundled Payments, and, and essentially it's just underneath that umbrella of value-based care, which you just mentioned, which is, again, reimbursement for outcomes. And uh, in this specific bundled payment or shared savings program, the idea is is for everyone, from the surgeon to the patient, to work together to drive improvement in care and drive down the cost of healthcare. care. And from that, it's, it's essentially a capped reimbursement, which means that they Because it's capped, there's an opportunity for cost savings, but there's also an opportunity for a financial penalty. But if everybody works together, surgeon to patient, and attains financial cost savings, that savings can be distributed down the line from surgeon to patient. Uh, And this is where that HIPAA audit trail is crucial. Uh, And that's why we started with the HIPAA audit trail as the most practical and realistic application of blockchain, is because because of this ability to gain share and this ability to, to share in the savings of everybody working together, you darn sure better have an immutable audit trail that everybody was working together and that, that everything uh, from surgery to, to 90 days later is clearly documented. Uh, and so, yes, gain sharing is real. It's in multiple value-based care programs around the United States, Um and it, it's, it can go all the way down to the patient, which is really, really cool. And it's that's actually cool. where smart contracts can come into as well. well that,
0: that's exactly what was my next question. Yeah. <laughs> just took it right out of my mouth. I was just going to say that means – I think what you're saying is that means that this process could, could eventually be automated through smart contracts?
1: absolutely and we're already working with health insurance companies to to build that automation and what's really really cool is right now these reimbursement uh, protocols are retrospective which means the care occurs 90 days pass and then in the, in the historical look back everybody's reimbursed when you talk to providers physicians healthcare payers hospitals everybody wants to go and shift into prospective where that smart contract we'll jump right into the example, that smart contract is preloaded with the reimbursement. And as that patient is moving through, it will automatically execute and reimburse down the line. Once cost savings is attained, automatically distributed to everybody that was in that continuum of care. Yes, perfect use case.
0: That's remarkable. Uh, I suppose, though, there is sort of the other side of it in the sense that, you know, they they would need to agree to any penalties that were also in. Could potentially be incurred,
1: uh-huh.
0: um, and and but that's but what's I can't think of a better incentive. How how does it work right now? I, I, uh-huh. I'm I'm uh, I, you know to be honest with you, I'm not an enormous consumer of healthcare, um, <laughs> and so I don't I, I don't go to the doctor maybe as much as I should. But I don't I didn't even know until I read your white paper and started reading uh, some of those reports that I referred to in my first podcast. I, I didn't even know that that. Actually, could go all the way down to the patient. How does mm-hmm. it work now? Like, how? What kind of inefficiencies inefficiencies exist now mm. that would that, that that would make it better if it was automated?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to start first with a very important point that you just made, which is you don't use the healthcare system as much as you right. maybe should, uh, and that's another reason why we, Simply Vital Health, have focused connecting care and our first utility. Of Health Nexus on providers and not patients to start. Um, and the reason why is because if you look at uh, the data, only 0.5 to 1% of all of the patients actually want to manage their own data. And if you look at the demographics of that 0.5 to 1% of patients, they're the patients that aren't costing the healthcare system that much money. They're the ones that are very compliant with their healthcare. They're taking their medications. They're following their their physician's orders. And so what we really need to get at in order to drive down cost and improve care and healthcare is to focus on that part of the population that is driving the cost of, of healthcare. And that's where these value-based care programs come from. And then to get to the rest of your question is that's why this incentive is so beneficial. So where those inefficiencies lie is is many places. And this is a a podcast in and of itself. But if we take just a hip replacement as an example, uh, so the care pathway of a hip replacement would be surgery, skilled nursing facility, home health, outpatient physical therapy. That process can be anywhere between 30 to 90 days. And the inefficiencies can be, uh, number one, the number of devices that are used by surgeons at the hospital. Uh, So, for example, uh, at Yale New Haven, we had, gosh, it could have been anywhere between 20 medical device companies we were working with. We narrowed that down to two. With that, you can negotiate different prices. So you you find cost savings there. Uh, When you're in a bundled payment and you're sharing all the way down to the patients, uh, that's cost savings that can be shared all the way down. Uh, Quality control, making sure that there are no infections during the surgery. That comes from which medical device you use, as well as uh, standardized protocols in the operating room. Then it's discharge planning, care planning, care coordination, making sure that everybody's on the same page and has the same access to that data, which is why opening up that data is important. Also, the patient uh, being an active uh, partner in managing their care, uh, making sure that they're doing their physical therapy. So that's where that financial incentive benefits the patient as well. And so there are a lot of different, uh, different parts of it that are clinical and operational in nature where you can identify inefficiencies and streamline care. Uh, one of the largest ones actually, which is a core focus of connecting care is something as simple as the patient staying too long in a skilled nursing facility. Uh, and this is, I'll try to stay high level. We could get pretty technical, but high level Some skilled nursing facilities will keep a patient 21 to 29 days, and they don't need to stay there that long. The best place for a patient to recover is at home. And so with everybody together aligned in the same program with the same clinical and financial incentives, the idea is to drive the patient home safely at the right time. You can save money that way.
0: And instead of keeping the patient in that center and reaping the rewards of a daily rate, they could actually get incentivized to send them home early provide, and then they would get benefited that way, right?
1: Exactly, exactly, and the reason why, because the next question that usually comes from that when we're speaking with our healthcare partners is, well, you know, I get reimbursed $500 a day as a skilled nursing facility, why would I send that patient home? And the reason why is is the shift that's happening in healthcare. Uh, Hospitals are bypassing that skilled nursing facility and sending the patient straight to home, so they may not get that Uh revenue anyway. Yeah, and, right. yeah, so, the, so what skilled nursing facilities are having to do is say, hey, we're really good partners. I understand that some of your patients are going to bypass us, and that's fine. But the patients that you send to us, we're going to be great partners in care coordination. We're going to work with you to drive better care, better quality, and drive down cost. And we can do that by sharing data, and then the conversation continues, and then you talk about financial savings and sharing.
0: You know, I wish I was a fly in the wall on some of those 150 conversations <laughs> you had. Because it sounds like people are really talking up. I mean, it sounds like they're not afraid to to sort of engage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's really great. Absolutely. I, one thing, I read that I read a report. Uh, you know, I wanted to go back. I wanted to dig a little bit more, and, and I wanted to find out how has this bundled payment thing been going? And so I think it started in 2014, if I remember. Mm-hmm. And so they've had a couple of years, and then there was this report that said that one of the issues, and there were definitely some savings incurred, you know, using these bundled payments and so forth. Uh, they said that one of the issues, though, was actually, it was rather difficult to get the providers to to work together collaboratively. Mm-hmm. But with, is it true to say that with the health, with the help Nexus and the smart contracts, it's it's almost as if all of that, whatever the problem is, I don't know whether they're busy, too busy, factionalism, whatever, or selfishness. But in any case, um, if you if you have a framework where there's smart contracts, it's almost as if they don't have too much of a choice, to, but to collaborate, right?
1: Yeah. I- Definitely, and that is the direction that we're seeing everything going. Uh, you know, not everything is ideal for a bundled payment, and um, the more <laughs> the more I get to talk about healthcare, the more this is a consistent theme. But there's a big difference from something that's called population health versus bundled payment. Uh, population health—you can take the example of diabetes. Uh, diabetes management lies pretty significantly, if not solely, on the patient. Uh, managing their food, their exercise, and general well-being. That's very difficult for providers to partner with in care. There's a lot of behavioral and change management that's involved around that. And the locus of control there is, is out of the physician's hands, usually the nurse's hands. Right. But bundled payments, that's why we like bundled payments so much, is that locus of control is really between the providers. Uh, it's usually the best bundled payments are surgical in nature, or something that has a short period of time where it can be managed. So uh, anything orthopedic is an excellent bundled payment program. Uh, COPD and CHF have been shown to be effective bundled payment programs. And so, you know, what you wanna think about is is which programs will drive where a financial incentive and even more than that, just the ability to, to to have that locus of control be will just be much more effective. Um, and a, a similar example is so I'm a Teach for America Corps member and I taught in the fifth poorest county in the entire United States. and one of the studies that I remember when preparing to work with my students that just continually face things that are outside the locus of control is there was a study that was done with a mouse and uh, they tested different scenarios with this mouse in a maze. and they noticed that uh, when this mouse hit different, barriers, but eventually was able to get to the end or get to the cheese, they could continue to be resilient. But when that mouse was consistently hit with barriers that were outside of its locus of control, where it could not ever, ever reach that cheese, it could never attain that goal, it gave up. Hmm. And so we kind of see the focus there similarly to bundled payments, where the locus of control does sit with the providers there's a lot that they can focus on and change in terms of efficiency to drive better care and drive down cost as opposed to something that's outside of their locus of control where they're going to continue to hit barriers and they they lose that steam and they lose the you know that drive to work together and and uh improve care and so we we kind of see it in in that way
0: all right it's very interesting uh- one of the things you mentioned a little while ago maybe ten minutes ago uh, you made several references to devices and um, you know I've, I'm reading a lot of white papers a lot of different projects going on and there was one that caught my eye not that long ago uh, with respect to Internet of Things and sort of capturing data from devices it wasn't a medical application it, it was more tracking of food mm-hmm. but it would seem to me that there's probably a great deal of value in in marrying uh, the blockchain with perhaps information coming from those medical monitoring systems. Is, is, have you thought about that? Or that been, is that on your radar in terms of development?
2: I can take that. Um, I'd say it's definitely on our radar. Um, we have actually have talked to uh, quite a few people about this and have done some research on it. Um, I would just say it's a bit further along on our kind of project plan. Uh, primarily just due to the fact we have k- kind of quite a bit on our plate already, yeah, and we do yeah. view this as something that we can kind of build in later. Uh, going back to the consortium part, this system is built to be upgradable. So we view this as something coming on a bit later. It's just kind of like if we our fears if we bring that in right now will greatly increase the scope to something that's unmanageable.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I completely understand, yeah. I was just thinking it was sort of reminding me of what Kat was just saying a little bit about this locus of control in the sense that you know sometimes sometimes information can can actually provide a lot of uh, control right and, mm-hmm. and so to be able to feed that and and to get that it, it, it takes a little bit of the burden off of the uh, of, of the provider to keep track of every little thing mm-hmm. um, but I, you know I know that eventually that, that 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 will probably there are some challenges with that uh, of course I mean that's why you see these pro- projects like iota coming up with you know almost like a blockchainless kind of uh, protocol that, that allows for Internet of Things because there is a lot of data that can flow out of these devices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I can understand the challenges there it would be yeah. pretty.
2: I'd say the one thing we are kind of looking at just as initial intro would be opening those devices up to kind of our connecting care auditing platform we already have, kind of an easy first step to kind of integrate it, build it off of that. Right. Um, outside mm-hmm. of that we've been kicking some ideas around but we've not made anything anything set in stone yet
1: yeah but the good the great thing about health nexus being open source and the fact that others can develop on it for free uh, is that you know when someone else in the digital healthcare space has that knowledge and that ability they can they can use health nexus to develop that application uh, on their own which is great that was the whole the whole reason behind it so that you know Others can benefit from the protocol as well
0: So you're actually building a platform that that is going to be pretty much open, but I suppose though it is permissions in the sense that that I guess the ideas the the code and the nodes everything would be would be vetted by the consortium and voted in right mm-hmm. All, would there be a voting mechanism to allow those app developers to come in with their ideas and that would be vetted and then they would be brought in?
2: Um, I can take that portion. Um, currently, no. So this goes back to kind of we're viewing this as kind of a hybrid system. I think you kind of mentioned this earlier. Right. Um, our plan is to allow anyone to use it or anyone to be able to come in and develop on it. Now, for actual pushing to so for making actual changes to the platform itself, that's something that would have to be proposed by a consortium member. All the c- consortium members would have a vote before we decide if that becomes standard or not. Uh, for building apps though on the platform itself, we currently don't have an intention to vet those. Um that could be something that we bring in that we bring in a little bit later. Um we could include kind of a validation or that might be an easier way to include kind of incentivized validation system. Um sort of something akin to what GT is doing where once an app's set up, we can allow people to kind of keep track. I'm trying to think of a good way to phrase this. Almost kind of like rate the different apps, so you know which ones are verified, and maybe include some way to do a verification system. But currently, we don't have an intention to kind of uh, rope that portion off.
0: Well, I actually see that as admirable. Being an open source kind of person myself, so I, I actually see that as big uh, benefit. Um, does that mean then that your a significant portion of what you're building is going to contain various APIs? Um. Yes. Yeah, I would imagine. I was very interested to to, to, to listen to that uh, couple of the interviews uh, where Kat was last week or the week before down in Tennessee where there was one company that said like, yeah, as of, as of two years ago, pretty much healthcare didn't know how to spell A-P-I. <laughs> that was quite – kind of a blunt way to put it I guess but it, <laughs> has that been – is that is that been your experience? I mean, are you guys kind of paving the way here in terms of like you know really really building some some
2: some some open APIs? That's a good um, question. Um, I'm trying to be kind of neutral to it, but I would say the guy's not too far off. I'd right, say <laughs> at this point, um, the API situation has gotten a lot better. They're still working on it, um, and I'd say weird might be. I would not call ourselves our leader on that, but I would say we're at the forward end of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like that's not yeah. our goal to do and it has gotten a lot better. Uh, we are trying to stick to API principles, if that makes sense. And not all of healthcare is fully there yet.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> it's so funny coming from and, healthcare and working at a hospital. I just love it. I can't stop giggling. Um, <laughs> so the thing is, uh, the thing that I always like to remind us as a company and others as well is we're not going to roll this out to 100% of the healthcare community at the same time. Uh, when you look at healthcare in general in the United States and globally, everybody is at a different stage of uh, technology adoption. There are some hospitals and physician groups that you're going to go into, and they are absolutely terrified of cloud technology and still have on prem servers and will have nothing to do with the cloud. Those aren't our target right now. Uh, it's you know we want them to adopt the cloud first and feel comfortable with that before they you know start thinking about something more advanced like APIs or uh, blockchain technology. And so it's it really is uh, yes I would say agree with Lucas and you that we're leading the pack in this technology uh, space uh, specifically around blockchain and, and creating a protocol that's safely adoptable by healthcare. And you know I think we'll all get there and. Part of the reason why I know healthcare will get there is is there is a push federally here in the United States where reimbursement is tied to the fact that a hospital adopts a hospital physician group and skilled nursing facilities, so everybody now, adopting electronic health record technology. Uh, and they're financially penalized if they don't. So kind of speaks to the fact that, that healthcare has to be pushed into technology almost away. Um and that's why focusing on a very practical, realistic Application that serves a true business need for a hospital, physician, or healthcare insurance provider is so important, and that's why uh, we've been very focused on that as a company is is to to drive care improvement and, and cost savings. You can't just put a shiny object in front of healthcare. You know they their margins are are tiny. Uh, we need to be able as a digital health company, as a protocol creator, create things of value for them that that makes sense for them to adopt and to use.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, that's excellent. Uh, well, I, it certainly has been a pleasure to talk to both of you. Um, I, I, I think we could go on for a few more hours, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but really, I, I really appreciate you both uh, joining joining me today and, and having this discussion. Now, I've learned a tremendous amount uh, just in the last 45 minutes, so, um, and I hope our listeners have as well. Uh, I have one last question. Uh, you know, as I've discovered uh, over the last few weeks, um, that there's a significant number of people uh, who, are, who are planning uh, just, you know, to, to, to join blockchain and, and, to, uh, and to sort of, you know, have their own projects. And, and they're listeners of this podcast. As, as a team that's obviously um, kind of got it together, uh, do you have any advice for somebody who, who sort of has ideas? And they want to get there from A to Z. If there's just a couple of takeaways, uh, what, what would you say that that you've learned uh, that in your experience in the last year uh, that you could maybe share with uh, somebody who has aspirations, uh, no matter what the subject?
1: Mm. Yes. So I, I can start first, and then Lucas. We should we should both co-share as, as co-founders all of our learnings. So first, <laughs> first and foremost, I uh, no matter what vertical you're in. Uh, it's really, really important to talk to your potential customers and figure out what it is that that they want. Uh, it's really, really important to, uh, you know, kind of as they say, when you're an accelerator, get out of the walls, get out of your bubble, and just ask and talk and try and test. Uh, you can I. So when I first started pitching Simply Vital, I was testing an Excel-based wireframe with buttons and algorithms <laughs> in Excel. <laughs> And got some pretty good feedback on what, what physicians and and hospital administrators would pay for. And so, you know, right. there was about a year and a half of that before we even, before Lucas and I even met, uh, that year and a half of research is part of the reason why we, we won the hackathon, why we left our jobs in December of 2016, and why we attained revenue in seven months. And so I think it's really, really important that, you know, you do that customer validation.
2: Very interesting. Um, I would definitely re put full emphasis on the, um, try to stay customer focused. Uh, two of the things I would mention is get used to kind of pivoting of uh, things change pretty rapidly, especially in the field. We're in, uh, this applies to all verticals, specifically we're doing anything kind of blockchain related. There's new things coming out literally every day. Um, so be ready for fast changes. Um, the other thing too, I would say though is do things right. Don't take shortcuts. It can definitely become easy to try to just get things done quickly and take the shortest path every time. Um, We've avoided that, and we definitely find that that has helped us a lot. Um, Something that might seem really, I don't want to say trivial, but something that might seem time extensive and might seem kind of, why should I do this? Let's just go straight from point A to point D. Might seem pretty trivial at the time, but a couple of months down the line, you'll realize, you won't, that's when you'll realize the full ramifications of taking said shortcut and you might come to regret it um so i'd also say don't obviously like you need to move quickly um you need to you need to move quickly you need to build quickly and you need to be like prepared to make mistakes but there's a difference between like making a mistake and taking a shortcut and i'd be careful of shortcuts
0: right well you know, after what I've been involved in and in reading and in researching for the last six months, I would I would say that our listeners would do well to heed the advice of both of you there. So I appreciate you sharing very much, uh, th- mm-hmm. and uh, also the generosity of, of of your of your thoughts. You know, thank you, thank you very much for for just uh, you not being afraid to, to to tell your story. So thank you. Um,
1: yeah. And, thank you. Uh,
0: yeah. I wish you the best on your upcoming token sale. And, of course, you're, that's where the work begins uh, the next uh, couple of mm-hmm. few years, I guess. <laughs> we'll be checking back with you from time to time.
1: Awesome. Yeah, we look forward to it. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: All right. Take care, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks. Bye.